today is Palm Sunday, and I know here we are in 2020, and this is the most unusual Palm Sunday that any of us have, have ever experienced. And you know, I, I wonder what it have, would have been like for the people who were Jewish in the day and age of Jesus. They would have been coming into the city of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday that happened to be Passover Sunday. They would have been coming in from all over the region of that day. Perhaps thousands and thousands of extra people piled into that great city of Jerusalem for the celebration of Passover. This holiday, this highest of holiday for the Jewish people who would come into Jerusalem to celebrate God's deliverance of his people from the hand of the Egyptians, out of slavery and into their freedom. But you know, that Sunday that Jesus came into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover with his 12 disciples, if you would have been someone who would have come in, it would have seemed a little bit different this year. Imagine in the first century, you're traveling with your family and you're excited about these holidays. You're excited to join together with people you haven't seen perhaps in years. Maybe you're visiting a friend or a family member or you have an acquaintance that you haven't seen in a long time and you're excited to see them just like we are around Christmas time or maybe Thanksgiving or throughout the rest of the year when we haven't seen people for a long time. Um, and they would have come into Jerusalem, and imagine if you had been part of a family that had traveled so far, and you were there in Jerusalem, and you were excited about the meals, you were anticipating the stories that would have been told, you were looking forward to celebrating the fact that God was a God of deliverance and is a God of deliverance. But something was different that Passover. Something was a bit different. There was this man um, who, had, uh, who had come from Nazareth and, and, and there was a rumor that he was in the area. The word on the street was he might be in Jerusalem. And if it had been just another man, if it had been just another Jewish person coming into Jerusalem, it wouldn't have seemed so odd. But this year was different and this man was different. Word on the street was that he was performing miracles. Word on the street was that he had raised people from the dead. The story went that he had turned water into wine at a wedding feast. He was healing people who were sick. And that for the Jewish people of the day would have been shocking and surprising. But probably the most shocking thing of all is this man from Nazareth was talking about the fact that God's kingdom was about to come. And for anyone who would have understood Jewish tradition and understood the Torah, that would have been a huge red flag. Those who were religious, they would have hated hearing this. Those whose heart were turned towards him, they might have been excited. And so this Passover, this Palm Sunday as we now call it, would have been different for a lot of people in that first century who were Jewish. 
And the idea of the kingdom of God being at hand and the kingdom of God now uh, perhaps being here would have been something that would have shocked them and surprised them. Because for all Jews, that would have been the goal. That would have been something that they would have heard of and heard about from the beginning of time. They would have looked forward to it. They were anticipating that a Messiah would one come one day and establish his kingdom, this theocracy on earth. It's what they longed for. It's what they wanted. And so hearing about this man who was in the region, who was in the area, who might walk into Jerusalem that day or ride into Jerusalem that day, that would have made the anticipation for that Passover all the more exciting. The problem was that the idea of a Jewish nation being established at that time in that place was almost inconceivable. You see, the people of that day, the Jewish people of that day, they knew that things had to change. There was one little problem, and that one little problem was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire controlled all of Jewish culture. They looked over all of the the things that were established, the order that was established in Jewish governance. They would have been the enforcers of many of the laws. They would have tried to stifle anything that smacked of faith in God, faith in Jehovah. And they would have tried to control it. And so for the people who were Jewish that day, when they heard of this man from Nazareth, who was saying that the kingdom of God was at hand, the kingdom of God was coming, they would have thought, is it really going to happen now? And maybe in the minds of some who had gathered in Jerusalem on that Passover, maybe they thought, you know what, maybe he's done it. Maybe he's gone to Rome and maybe without us knowing about it because news traveled so slowly, maybe the Messiah has come and maybe this man from Nazareth is the one who's defeated them. Maybe there's been some sort of military victory and as he's ushered into Jerusalem, we will shout victory and we will praise him because he's been victorious or maybe he's gone to Rome and maybe he's established some kind of diplomatic conversation, diplomatic partnership with Rome and they were gonna loosen their grip on the Jewish people. Maybe he was the one who was going to now establish the fact that they could go back to their culture without any threat from Rome. And so the Jewish people on that Passover, on on this Passover, on the day that Jesus was about ready to walk in Jerusalem, they were expecting that this man from Nazareth was going to change everything. That he was the one who was about ready to save them. He came in with an idea in mind, his mission in mind of what God wanted him to do. But the crowd that day, they were expecting something else. They were expecting a conquering military leader, a savior of their nation, and a king. As Cynthia mentioned just a few minutes ago, we're in a two-part series this year. I know it's Palm Sunday and Easter's next week, 2020. And I know our world is turned upside down. But we're in this series, and we've entitled it Turnaround. And we're going to be taking a look at the turnaround that Jesus experienced in that last week of his life here on earth. 
We're going to be taking a look at the turnaround as he went from this triumphal entry, which we'll look at in a moment, to the tragedy of what happened on Friday of the week of Passover, the Holy Week, to the transformation that happened on Easter Sunday. And hopefully for some of you as you tune in and as you watch online and maybe you experience some things throughout the week that you'll hear about later in the service, maybe for you, you will have a spiritual turnaround because that was what Jesus was coming to do for the Jewish people. You see, they had an expectation that Palm Sunday, that Passover Sunday, they had an expectation that was expressed in a very obvious way by this crowd. They had an expectation that Jesus was coming to change their world. And he was, but much different than they thought. They thought that he was gonna remove them from their world. What he wanted to change was something deeper, something much more pressing, something much more important, something much more significant. He wanted to change their heart. And they expected this king. And we see it all over scripture. We see it in all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see it as he walks into Jerusalem. I I love the story of Palm Sunday, how Jesus and his 12 followers would have stayed right outside and in Bethany. They would have stayed right outside the night before he came in. He would have told them to go find this donkey and then they would enter Jerusalem. And there were four things, four symbols specifically that, that demonstrated this, this cry of royalty, this, this expecting a king and the king that would save them from all of their political and cultural and national problems. The first symbol that they were looking at, they saw Jesus as he came in. He came in on a donkey. Now for you and for me, that seems almost ridiculous. I mean, in my mind, I I don't picture a donkey. I picture a stallion. A king is worthy of a stallion, but in that day and age, kings, warriors, those who had won great military battles, they would come in and they would be celebrated and they would come in not riding a stallion, not riding a horse, they would come in riding a donkey. It's a fulfillment of prophecy in Zechariah 9, verse 9. The prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. You just saw that on the screens. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we see in the story, we see in all all of these stories from the gospels that he comes in riding a donkey, most notably Luke. And I wanna read this passage this morning, this story of this Palm Sunday, this story of Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on Passover Sunday. Check this out, Luke 19, 28 through 36. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead of his disciples going into Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage in Bethany, which were right outside of Jerusalem, on the mount that is called Olivet, he sent on the two disciples, saying, go into the village in front of you. Some scholars believe it was Bethany. Some scholars believe it was Bethpage, probably one of those two. When on entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, I love this part of Jesus almost with a sense of humor. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. (laughs) 
By the way, that's not an excuse to do wrong things, but it certainly was in this case. To, it was a reason for them to do what Jesus was asking them to do. In verse 32, so those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it and he rode along they spread their cloaks on the road, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So Jesus coming into Jerusalem was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, but it was also an indicator to the crowd that he indeed was a king. Imagine if you had been with your family in Jerusalem, and you had heard about this man from Nazareth, this one who's performing these miracles and talking about the kingdom of God, and all of a sudden you see him enter the gates of Jerusalem, and he's riding the donkey symbolizing this great military victory that he was either about to have or perhaps already had. You might have gotten caught up in the fact that he was a national king as well, that he was this great military leader as well, but there was a second thing that the people did that day that indicated that they knew that he was a king and they thought that he would be a national king and that is, is the fact that they laid down in the path of Jesus, riding that donkey. They laid down in his path cloaks. Now, I've got a cloak from my college years. I went to college in, uh, at Liberty in, in Lynchburg, Virginia, and um, I certainly don't need this today. But in that day and age back then, I've probably worn this once. I don't even know if it fits. I guess it fits. Anyway, back in that day and age, um, they would have taken off the outer cloak that they had and they would have laid down in the middle of the road to make a straighter path, to make a better path for the one who was king. And this went back all the way back to the ancient times, to the Old Testament. There was a king named King Ahab, and King Ahab was a terrible king. He, he allowed the nation, um, the northern kingdom, the nation of Israel, he, he allowed them to, to get pulled into idol worship. And, and, and God did what he wanted to do with, with Ahab, but he replaced him with Jehu. And King Jehu undid everything that King Ahab did. Now, he made a few mistakes along the way, and he's considered one of the very few good and bad kings of Israel. But 2 Kings tells us in chapter 9 and verse 13, then in haste, every man of them, those who were celebrating this new king in the Old Testament, uh, centuries before Jesus would have come on the scene, Jehu, every man took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So as the crowd, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, began to lay their cloaks down, began to take their outer garments off and put it in the path, it would have been another indicator, a second indicator that this was perhaps the king. We see it in Matthew 21, verse 8. Most of the crowd, they spread their cloak on the road as Jesus came in. And others cut branches from the trees. We'll talk about that in a moment. Luke 19 says, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. Verse 36 says that. And so we see yet another indicator that the crowd recognized Jesus as the king. And he was, but they were thinking national. They were thinking cultural. They were thinking political. There was a third thing that they did. 
And this is where we get the name Palm Sunday from. Matthew 21, verse eight. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the ground and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. I, I love um, some of these uh, from, uh, from the gospels because they describe them as leafy branches. And of course, um, some of you may be watching from other places around the world because we're in this terrible crisis right now. You may be uh, watching from a different place, but around here, we have palm trees and we have huge, uh, amazing, Palm, palm branches and, and palmetto um, uh, bushes that, that have huge, huge branches on them. And, and this is what they would have done in that day as Jesus came into Jerusalem on that road riding that donkey. They would have laid down their cloaks and they would have laid down these palm branches, once again indicating that he was the king. That was a cultural thing of that day that goes back centuries and so if you had been in Jerusalem with your family and you were part of the crowd, you probably would, would say, yes, this must be the Messiah. This must be the one that's gonna take us out of this terrible Rome, Roman Empire. And he must be the one that's gonna give us our political freedom. And you might have joined in the fourth thing that they did, and that is as they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's the fourth thing that they did that would have kind of reminded them that he was a coming king. In Psalm 118, 25 and 26, it says this. I love this. The psalmist writes this, and this is actually prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. It says this, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's what that word Hosanna means. It means blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of our Lord. Check out John chapter 12, 12 and 13. The next day, the large crowd there in Jerusalem that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took the branches of the palm trees and went out uh, to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And so at this point, if you were in Jerusalem that day ready to celebrate the Passover holiday, the Passover feast, this Passover remembrance of God's deliverance, this year would have taken it up like 10 notches. This would have been the best Passover because the word was that Jesus was coming to save them. But I want you to hear something today. The problem was, for the crowd that day, is that they wanted Jesus to save them from the wrong problem. Jesus was ushered into Jerusalem as a king. That's true. But the reason that he was ushered into Jerusalem as a king was because rescue. It's this first observation this morning. It's the reason we've called the turnaround from triumph to tragedy. They were looking for a, a savior that would save them from the cultural and the political and national crisis that they had. Rome was so severe in its punishment of Jewish people. They taxed them beyond their ability to pay. They would have been looking for someone to pull them out of that situation. 
The problem is, is they didn't see Jesus for who he really was because he was focused on their real problem. He wasn't focused on the, the problem that they had an expectation to fulfill. He was there for their deeper issue. He was there to save them from our sins. Here's, here's the first point I want you to, to capture this morning because I think the same thing is true for us. Sometimes we're looking to Jesus to solve a problem and when he doesn't solve that problem, we move on to another solution and that solution doesn't work and then we look at another solution and it doesn't work and we, we go to a third or fourth or fifth solution and it doesn't work and at some point in time, you have to ask yourself, am I focused on the wrong problem. You see, when our every solution to our every problem fails us every time, we may be trying to solve the wrong problem. We may be trying to solve the wrong problem. You may be looking right now, or you may have recently been looking for Jesus to solve your financial crisis, and it doesn't seem that he's come through. You may be looking to Jesus to solve your relational issue that you've got. You're looking for him to give you comfort in an area that you feel like you need comfort and you need fulfillment. Maybe you're looking to him or, or to other things to try to solve the problem of your vocation or how miserable you are in your current vocation. Or maybe you've made some mistakes along the way and you're dealing with the consequences and you're looking to Jesus and to everything else that you can find to solve your problem. And let me tell you today, if you're watching this online, he is able and he can solve all of those problems that we just talked about and the hundreds of problems we didn't talk about. He can solve the problem that we as a world are facing today, but... But I wonder if he has a larger problem to solve in our lives. You see, the Jewish people weren't expecting him to come in and, and to talk to them about the fact that there's this distance between them and God and talk to them about how he was gonna be the one that would save them from their sin, that he would be the last Passover lamb that was ever needed. He came in wanting to talk about their, their life and their heart and where they were with God. He wanted to solve the bigger issue of life. He wanted to offer them eternal life. He didn't necessarily want to pluck them out of their current situation, although he could, and in some cases he did, but he wanted to solve their greatest problem, and that is this gap between us and God, between them and God because of our sin. Jesus knew that he was going to solve that. And they were disappointed as the week went on. And they realized that he was coming for a different reason than he expected. I wonder about you today. I wonder what solutions you've considered to solve your greatest problems. I wonder what things you've turned to in addition to Jesus and maybe even including Jesus to solve what you believe to be the greatest problem in your life. I want you to consider today the question, are you trying to solve the wrong problem? Are you trying to solve the surface problems and not the deeper problem? That's what the crowd was expecting that day. Jesus wanted to come and change their heart. The second thing I want you to observe today, just one of two things. We talked about the triumphal entry. That's why we call it the triumphal entry. But very quickly that crowd turned from Hosanna 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is our king. This is our warrior. This is the one who has either already saved us or has come to save us. They very quickly, in about four days, four or five days, went from shouting the shout of victory and waving these palm branches on the ground and putting their cloaks on the ground to signify that he was the coming king. They quickly went from that to shouting something much different. I want you to check out Luke 23, 18 through 23 this morning. This is just five days later. But they all cried out together, away with this man. The same crowd, the same people who were just a few days earlier shouting Hosanna, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, this other criminal, a man who had been thrown into prison for, uh, uh, for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. They began to cry, we want Jesus to be crucified. We want Barabbas to be released. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. This, this man wanted to, to, to release Jesus and to, to kind of quell the storm. He wanted to do the right thing in that moment, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And it goes on a third time, he said to them, why, what evil has this man Jesus done? I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they, the crowd, was urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. How quickly things changed. How quickly things changed. This crowd had a huge turnaround in a matter of days. They went from crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and, and in just a few days, to the same man who they were worshiping a few days or earlier, they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. I don't know if you've ever been in a sporting event with your favorite team, and the crowd is cheering for the team, and all of a sudden, a few errors later, later they're, they're yelling and booing and hissing at the team that they just were shouting for. I remember being at, at a Braves game back in the 90s when the, the, my Atlanta Braves were a, a great team. They were an amazing team. And I remember being at a game that they were up 6-1, to one, and they were doing so well. And in the ninth inning, two or three errors and a few bad pitches later, they had lost. And the crowd was booing them incessantly. That's what happened in Jerusalem that week of Passover. The crowd quickly changed. See, the crowd quickly turned on Jesus because their passion and their pursuit and their praise of him was driven by popularity, not a genuine desire and love for Jesus. They had, got, they had gotten caught up in the cry of the crowd. They had gotten caught up in the emotion that was there that day because they thought that Jesus was coming to save them from something that he had a different idea that, they, that he was saving them from. Their ideas were different, and so the crowd got caught up in this, the people got caught up in it, and they quickly turned on Jesus because when things got bad, they wanted out. They wanted out. And I gotta tell you, Christ follower, for those of you who are Christ followers and who are listening today, I wanna challenge you on something. I wanna challenge you on, on why you're following Jesus. 
I'm not at all saying that it's bad that the name of Jesus is made great. In fact, the opposite's true. In fact, at this church, we believe that it is a good thing when many people follow Jesus. We are not into exclusivity here. I want you to hear that loud and clear. I want you to hear that we get excited when a lot of people come to faith in Jesus as their savior. We get excited to, to shout Hosanna on Palm Sunday and for next week to us, for us to talk about this risen savior that we have. But I gotta tell you, Christ follower, when we as his followers follow him because it's just popular, we're missing it. We're missing it. When we follow him because a group of people or the crowd or our family or our we're following him, then all we're really doing is following the crowd. We're not really following Jesus. So my question today is, is what's driving your passion for Jesus? What's driving your love and your desire for him? Is your passion for Jesus, is your pursuit of Jesus, or is your praise of Jesus driven solely by the crowd just because there's a popular group that sings a popular song or a popular pastor that preaches a popular message or a group of your friends that right now today think it's popular what happens when the tide turns with them are you still going to be following jesus or are you going to be following the crowd see the turnaround happened in the crowd the week of Passover, that week that Jesus died for our sins because their desire and their passion and their love wasn't genuine. And that's what I wanna challenge today. Are you genuinely following him because of your love for him or are you just following the crowd? You see, Palm Sunday is not just a day where we get dressed up and go out to eat. Of course, none of us are doing that right now. It's not a day when we sing Hosanna once a year as a church. We can look at the story of Jesus's triumphal entry and see the turnaround and perhaps realize in our lives that we need a turnaround. I'm gonna ask the band and our worship team to come up here on stage this morning. And I wanna ask you, Maybe where you need to have a turnaround in your life. Maybe today you heard something that caused you to go, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm looking to Jesus and I'm looking to a thousand other things to solve my wrong problem. Maybe I'm looking for Jesus to save me from my finances that if I'm really honest, I ruined myself. Or maybe I'm asking for Jesus to save me in that relationship issue that I have with a spouse or with a family member or with kids or with a best friend or with a, 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 a business partner that's gone south. And I've made the mess that I've made and I'm asking for Jesus just to pluck me out. And I know he can and he can, but maybe there's something deeper that he wants to do with you. Maybe you're looking for him to solve a problem, and you're focused on the wrong problem. 
Maybe today for you, there's a gap between you and God because of something you did or something that you bought into or something that you began to believe that was greater than him. And maybe you're a Christ follower and you've gotten just off track. And maybe for you today, adjusting your expectations (laughs) means adjusting what you are looking for Jesus to save you from. I wanna challenge you on that. And I wanna challenge you also, maybe you've just been following the crowd. Maybe for you, your faith in Jesus really isn't much faith at all, or at least it's not genuine. Or maybe there's a seed there, but you've really been following the, the roar of the crowd. You've been following the people that you have put your trust in, and that trust is deeper than it is your genuine trust in him. I wanna give you an opportunity on this Palm Sunday to to begin that turnaround, to begin that change. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you so much for the triumphal entry. And God, the, the idea that you went from that glorious triumphal entry to the tragedy that occurred on that Friday. You went from hearing Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to just a few days later, the same people with their same voices, shouting crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Father, I'm so thankful today that you willingly allowed that to happen. But God, I pray for those who may be listening today, maybe something is going on in the depths of their heart, in their darkest place. Maybe you're calling them to a place where they they adjust their expectations. They realize that whatever it is that they're focused on as their greatest challenge is not really their greatest challenge. Maybe there is a deep-seated heart issue that you want to change. God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would change their lives. That they would begin to look to you to solve their deepest problem first. First. And maybe there's some who are listening and they've been following the crowd, they've been following the cry or the shout of a particular group of people or person, but they really, if they were truly honest, haven't been following you. Father, I pray that you would help them to turn around and to follow you, to fall in love with you, to have their passion be driven towards you, to have their greatest desire to find out more about you and become more like you. Father, help us on this Palm Sunday this first week or first day of the Passover season, which happens to coincide. God, may this be a year that is significantly more meaningful for whatever reason, including our current circumstances. Father, let us, let you have your way in us and change us from the inside out. We thank you that you are the King of Kings, and that means something completely different than the people of Israel and the Jewish people thought that day, but we thank you and we give you praise because you are the King of Kings, and we love you for all that you've done. And I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.